Our scripture reading today is in the book of Romans, chapter 13. Romans, chapter 13. So we are in the book of Romans, chapter 13. We'll be reading the first seven verses. Everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are wrong. Would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Do what is right, and they will honor you. The authorities are God's servants, sent for your good. But if you are doing wrong, of course you should be afraid, for they have the power to punish you. They are God's servants, sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. So you must submit to them, not only to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience. Pay your taxes, too, for these same reasons. For government workers need to be paid. They are serving God in what they, and they are serving God in what they do. Give to everyone what you owe them. Pay your taxes and government fees to those who collect them, and give respect and honor to those who are in authority. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for uh, this day you've given us this beautiful weather to wake up to. Lord, we thank you for a night of rest where we can now come and hear uh, your word, Lord, with, with open minds, with clear minds, Lord, with clear hearts, ready to accept your truth that you would have for us. Lord, I thank you for an opportunity to just come and fellowship with our brothers and sisters. And I thank you for uh, a chance to just be here and worship you, Lord. Uh, Lord, to be here and to serve you in, in, in any way, shape, or form, Lord. And I ask that you would just come be in the midst of us this morning. Lord, that you would bless each and every one sitting here. You would take away any distraction from us. Lord, that we may hear from you today. Lord, we pray for those who are home sick or home dealing with one thing or another. Lord, we ask that you would draw near to them as well. We ask that those who are listening to this at a later date even uh, would be blessed by what they hear today, Lord. Lord, we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning to, again, to all of you. We are in the third of ten messages or studies, I should say, which highlight the issue of the death of a nation. These ten are signs that the culture is in crisis. And, and so this morning we are at the third one. The first one we dealt with was the crisis of lawlessness, which we were aghasted by. The second one was the loss of economic discipline, whereas just $1 trillion, a picture of what $1 trillion looks like, pales in the fact of $30 trillion, over $30 trillion of debt that this country is presently in. And this morning, we're going to look at the third one. But before we do, I, I need to ask you to pray with me because we're going to be dealing with government. 
And uh, we need clarity from scriptures, but also realizing that yes, the government has been established by God for a purpose. But I'm here to tell you this morning, but, but that purpose has now become intrusive in all of our lives. What I'm about to share with you, some of you probably already know, but when I looked up how many agencies there are just in United States government, you will be blown away. But we need to pray, so let's do so. God, this information, this study this morning awakens us specifically from an issue that once a nation turns its back on God and begins to establish itself in ways that God has not determined that they should act, then we find ourselves in the present condition that we are. And yet at the same time, the scriptures are clear that we are to pray for those who are in authority over us. And so we do that today. I pray for our president and his cabinet, and vice president, our representatives both in the House and in the Senate. Oh God, I pray that there would be an outpouring of your spirit upon their hearts. I pray, O oh God, that words that stand behind them in many of their halls would become more than just decoration, but they would become truths that our representatives are to live by. Whether they desire to remove them or not does not in any way exonerate them from their actions. So I pray, O oh God, that you would bring about a revival. A revival that obviously, according to your scriptures, needs to begin in the house of the Lord. And in order for that, then, Lord, we need to be made aware of what is happening. And so guide, O oh Lord, our thoughts, our tents, and also, Lord, may the information that is provided not become a weapon but may it become a guidepost as to we as citizens of the United States have the responsibility of, yes, not only praying for those who are to be our representatives, our servants, but we are also to hold them accountable to the word of God. So guide, O oh Lord, this morning, as well as you will guide the Phillips family as... They've had to say so long to the patriarch of the family. For 97 years, your favor has rested with Fred. You protected him during World War II. You exonerated him in the business world. But Lord, you used him and Loretta for your glory as they brought so many children to Sunday school. And some of those that they brought are still with us today. And so, God, I pray for the Phillips family as this Thursday they, they say so long. I, I ask, Lord, that you would give them peace and comfort in their hearts. 
And at the same time, O oh Lord, let the memories of Fred and Loretta rush over them and they can rejoice in knowing that both of them are in your presence. And so, God, bring peace, bring comfort, bring about assurance, a calm assurance of knowing that they are in good hands with you. And so, God, again, we ask for your guidance and your blessing upon this service. For your glory, we say these things. Amen. This morning, we are going to look at the rising bureaucracy. What is interesting, though, is we're going to take a historical journey. Now, I know all of you love history. Can I get an amen? Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. Uh -huh. It was one of those courses in school you really didn't want to pay much attention to because you figured that's over and done with. Let's get with what we're doing today. But I want to tell you something. Past history dictates what we're doing today. And the first thing we want to look at is this, this nation called Egypt. Now, what makes this particular nation of great interest is that Egypt survived over 3,000 years as a power in the world. But it's also interesting, if you wish to copy down these particular verses in the Word of God that speak about Egypt, you'll find the first one in Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis chapter 12, Abram took Sarai and they went to Egypt because there was a, there was a famine in the land. They went down to Egypt. And by that time, Egypt was well established as, if you will, a mighty empire. That's Genesis chapter 12. But when you get to Genesis chapter 39, Joseph goes down to Egypt. He didn't go there because of a famine. He went there to prepare for a famine. God used him to prepare for a famine. He went down there because he was sold into slavery by his brothers. And so while he is there, God uses Joseph to bring about a respite, if you will, a place of peace whereby the whole nation of Israel at that time could come and be at safety and kept by God. That's Genesis chapter 39. But when you get to Exodus chapter 1, things change. Because by the fourth verse, it says the Pharaoh at that time did not know Joseph, did not see of the priority, and so it was his desire to have every male that was born to the Israelites to be killed. We're talking about Moses in Exodus chapter 1. Then you get to prophecies concerning uh, Egypt in Isaiah chapter 19, verses 18 to 25. Isaiah has a prophecy for Egypt. And then when you read that, it's not a bad prophecy because at that time, Egypt was going to be blessed by God because of the fact that there was where the nation of Israel could find rest and they could find safety. They were provided for there. But that doesn't last long because you get to Jeremiah chapter 43 and Jeremiah is taken to Egypt against God's word. He was forced to go to Egypt and many say that's where he died. 
He never got to go back to the promised land, to Israel. Ezekiel also speaks of Egypt, both in chapter 29 and chapter 30. Those two chapters, Egypt is not being blessed. They're being condemned by God for the evil that they have done. Now, when you get to the opening chapters of the book of Matthew, chapter 2, Joseph and Mary took the baby Jesus down to Egypt for both protection and also for fulfillment of a prophecy in Hosea chapter 11, verse 1, where it says, Out of Egypt I have called my son. So during the time of the scriptures, Egypt was a very powerful world force at the time. What's interesting also is that in the days, in the early days of government administration, it was remarkable. You remember the account of Joseph being in Egypt. Pharaoh said to him, you do what you do. Remember, Pharaoh had this dream. He had seven fat cows that got ate up by seven Thin cows. He had seven great sheaths of grain get tore up by seven lean sheaths of grain. And Joseph came in and told him that there's going to be seven years of greatness and seven years of famine. And Pharaoh said, this is too big for me. Uh, Joseph, you take over. Joseph was placed in second of command, if you will, in all of the land of Egypt. And so we can see just from a biblical account that at one time administration in in the, the empire of Egypt was great. They handled things. They were world providers at that time. And in the beginning, all of the systems seemed to have worked Quite well. But when we get to the later time, after 1085 BC, Egypt went through a series of divisions and struggles that provoked what was provoked by religious and nationalistic disputes. Exodus chapter 1 and in verse 8. Verse 8, Pharaoh did not know Joseph. And so Egypt was in a time of despair. In fact, later on, Egypt was divided into 11 separate states where the rise of local cults and an assortment of local and provincial governments, they all wanted control. They vied for control. Who's going to call the shots? The bureaucratic meddling only made things worse, and soon the entire structure began to collapse. And when we get to Egypt, was ultimately conquered by other powerful nations until the rise of the Roman Empire, which at one time controlled the whole known world. Egypt was taken over by Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. 
That's what Ezekiel says that would happen to them. God is going to send judgment. Nebuchadnezzar is going to come down and he's going to take over Egypt. And even in that, then after Babylon, let me see how many, how many times you paid attention to Sunday school teachers. Who came after Nebuchadnezzar? I thought so. Who came after Nebuchadnezzar? What's that, buddy? Who? That, I know. I'm talking about the empire. The, P, the Medes and the Persians came. Who was after the Medes and the Persians? Greeks. Who was after the Greeks? Romans. So by the time that Jesus is born in Matthew chapter 2, who's in control? Rome is. But Egypt was still somewhat of a valuable land. But they were not what they once were. And that leads us to the Roman Empire. I just skipped over the Persians and the Medes and the, and the Greeks. I skipped over them, get right to Roman. Why? The Roman Empire was a thousand years old. Then the Emperor Diocletian came to the throne in A.D. 284. His power was now concentrated in the emperor and his personal counsel where everything hinged on the strength and perception of the emperors. And, then the, and when the leader showed signs of weakness, the empire suffered. The bureaucracy grew so large that at one point there were more people on the government payroll than there were taxpayers to support them. Mm-hmm. We'll get to that later. Under this condition, one historian wrote, oh, I'm sorry. In under this condition, one historian wrote, when the center could no longer, could hold no longer, the bow began to break. So in time, most of the free population in Rome were unemployed, thus creating rivalries and revolutionaries who worked from the inside to destroy the empire. Mm -hmm. So in order to keep the masses amused and preoccupied, there was established both a public welfare system mm -hmm, and bloody entertainments which were free to the common people. Notice bloody entertainments. The Colosseum, where Christians, homosexuals, other religions that did not support the Roman Empire were thrown to games to be destroyed. This was a last ditch effort at keeping the crowds in check, keeping them appeased. But alas, the system fell in disrepair 
as the size of dissension and frequent violence between all classes and races. The Roman Empire was taken over by the Germans. The Germans came down and took over the Roman Empire. I'm not talking about Hitler, I'm talking about pre-Hitler. Germany became very, very powerful. With all of that history, it's interesting, but we have to realize what about the present? What about us? We have been told in history classes that much of the government of the United States has been, if you will, fashioned after the Roman government. Well, then let's take a look at it. We're talking about Western democracy. I want to set something straight here, first of all. The United States is not a democratic nation. We are a republic. We are a republic. I thought I'd get a louder, louder amen on that. We are a republic. A democracy in and of itself, that word is getting thrown all over the world. The democracy of the Ukraine, the democracy of Russia, the democracy of Spain. We, United States is not a democracy. We are a republic. And just recite in your memory the Pledge of Allegiance and to the republic for which it stands. Anyway. The indispensable background to the Western democracy is the idea that every individual citizen has, by birthright, the freedom of self-determination. When the Founding Fathers established the Constitution of the United States, in there is given to every individual citizen, by birthright, the freedom of self-determination. Here's something we don't like to think about, but each man has the right to succeed or to fail on his own. And without the interference or the complicity of government, that is a definition of freedom. Each individual is entitled to either succeed or fail without the interference of the government in any fashion, in any fashion. Government, as considered by the American founders, was designed to be a guardian of law and order, and it existed to preserve and protect our essential rights and liberties, cradle to grave, was protection was never, was never, one more time, was never a democratic notion. Where have we heard those words from our government? We need to protect our nation, our people, from cradle to grave. Wasn't that what was sold the Obama health care plan? from cradle to grave. Also, you'll notice as Pastor Steve read Romans chapter 13, 
the initialization of our government was established according to the word of God. It is the government's responsibility to provide for the common defense and also provide tranquility, domestic tranquility. We are to be protected from outside as well as provided protection inside. That's all that the word of God says government should be doing. Now that I've got your attention, the growth of government. The biggest growth industry in America today is government. Government consumes more revenues than any industry takes in. In fact, every industry in the United States that pr produces goods, the government uses or consumes more revenue than all of them could provide. The latest information available states that there is 2.85 million employees in the federal government alone and over 18 million employees in local and state governments. Does anybody know the largest state government in the United States today? It's California. Did you happen to catch a, 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 a headline today? 70,000 independent truck drivers could very well lose their jobs because of a law that has been established in California. 70,000 independent truckers will no longer be able to earn a living. Some say it's because of a law that they have to have a union or they have to be a part of a union. They can no longer be independent. Sometimes we forget that government does not have any money of its own. Federal and state bureaucracies do not make money. Government takes money. Remember last week, the 16th Amendment to the Constitution, whereby it says that government can establish any tax that it sees fit. These are some things, according to a study prepared by the Institute of Policy Innovation, you can look this up and you'll find these things. Number one, government in America was never supposed to engage in the multiple, in the multitude of activities that it does today. I must show you something. You can do your homework just like I've done and just Google how many agencies are there in just the United States government? 
you will print out 45 pages of agencies that desire and designed to influence your life from cradle to grave. 45 pages. Our money goes there. Just the federal government, not the state government, and not our local government. This is federal government alone. When the United States gained its independence, the founding fathers envisioned a national government with explicit and restricted responsibilities. These responsibilities pertain mainly to protecting the security of the nation and, and ensuring domestic, domestic tranquility which meant preserving public safety. Recognizing the propensity of government to grow, the people added what is called the Bill of Rights to the Constitution. This Bill of Rights was an additional layer of protection for the rights of the individual against the state. You can go and print your own copy of the Bill of Rights. Does anybody know how many total Bill of Rights there are? There's only 10. Isn't it interesting? 10 commandments for our, our government, 10 commandments from God. That's what the Bill of Rights was fashioned after. That means how well you've studied your Bill of Rights. Amendment number one. Congress shall make no law restricting or establishing of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or about abriding this freedom of speech or of press or the right for the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a red redress of grievances. I must confess to you, dear people, that I know under, quote, supposed uh, protection from the last COVID restrictions that we could not make, we could not meet. I'm here to tell you the government had no right to say that. According to the First Amendment of the Bill of Rights, they had no right to say that. Also, there is no such thing as separation of church and state. Somebody help me. None. That was something that Thomas Jefferson wrote later on after the Constitution and the Bill of Rights was established. And his purpose was to explain the First Amendment which says that the government cannot say what type of religion this nation will have. 
shall I go on? Number two. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Anybody know what the 10th Amendment is? Aston, do you know? Nobody else does either. The powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution nor prohibited by it to the states are reserved to the states respectively or to the people. In other words, the federal government cannot tell us in Pennsylvania what we can and cannot do. Do you see what's happening? The growth of bureaucracy is not providing freedom. It is taking it away. The Bill of Rights was to ensure that government would never grow so large that it could trample on the individual and economic liberties of American citizens. Today, these liberties are eroding. The United States has been gradually transformed from a nation with almost no government presence in the marketplace to one in which the government is now the predominant actor in the domestic economy. One individual wrote this when he said, as government consumes the public treasury, it also destroys the people's freedom. As ever, what are we to do? Number one, do not riot. God has not given us that privilege. We are not to go and raise up arms and begin the slaughter of people. That is not what we are to do. Obviously, you need to continue to study and know what is happening in our government. Some of you ought to be on the phone to our state representatives of the federal government and ask a simple question, why did our president make a decree that runs contrary to the Supreme Court decision to get rid of Roe versus Wade? Why did he do that? For what good reason would he say that abortion is still okay? He has no right. We need to continue to call or write our representatives and discuss with them the issues that are at hand. 
We can even visit the regional officers, offices excuse me, of our representatives and make your voice known in a Christ-loving way. Make sure you, you got that. Let me just make sure. Christ-loving way. Everybody say it. Christ-loving way. Speak the truth in love, Peter says. Visit them. Speak the truth in love concerning the issues that are at hand. And continue to pray for the Lord's intervention in these issues as well as pray for your representatives. It looks bleak, dear people. I agree. But there's still hope. God has not called us home yet. And when he does, then all hope is gone. We still have opportunities. And maybe we as church have forgotten God's prime directive. Matthew 28. We are to be making disciples and so one of the purposes or one of the reasons that I bring this, this study to you is that now you, are, you have information whereby the Lord can help you to discuss these issues in a Christ-loving way so that you can introduce the gospel. That when someone comes up to you and asks, what is this world coming to? you got two words, the end but there's hope in Jesus Christ. There's still time to get the gospel out until and later in our study, the church is becoming a target of our government. There could very well become a day when this is illegal because we are nothing more than training facilities for terrorists. That's what they've started saying. Be aware of what is happening. Be aware. We should almost sing a song. I, this is heavy stuff, I know. I come away tired looking at all this stuff. But as the shepherd of this flock, I must tell you, we have a mandate from God, and that is to make disciples. We need to be wise as serpents, gentle as doves. We need to know what is happening so that we can present the gospel of Jesus Christ, not in any fashion to water it down, but to hold it up as the only hope that this nation has is in Jesus Christ. It's the only hope that the whole world has which is in Jesus Christ. And so please, if you need to go back and review this information on the church's website, do that. Not that you're giving any kudos to me, but there may be some individuals who have questions that you can direct them to information that will help them in garnering, if you will, the ability to share Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about.
Let's stand together. And I'm going to lead just in a very, very familiar chorus that you all know. It's uh, thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me thy great salvation, so rich and so free. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me thy great salvation so rich and free. Unto you, Lord God, I commit these your people that throughout this week we will Savior and all God's people would say, Amen. You are dismissed.